We all want to go to heaven. That's why we're in church on a Sunday, because we know that's all part of it, is to come here and worship the God of the resurrection and get near to him. And, and I want you to think about why you want to go to heaven, like a reason why you want to go to heaven. Or think about what you think heaven is going to be like. You know, what are you expecting to see? What are you expecting to experience in heaven? So take a moment to do that. Okay, go ahead and open your eyes. Everybody get something? All right, what about you guys? Heaven, what, what, do you th- what, what, what came to you? Worshiping God, being able to worship him face to face. Being with all the angels and the people that have gone before us. Fulfillment. Fulfillment. Yeah, understanding. Yeah. Want to be home. Want to be home. Yeah. Peace. 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 Happiness. Happiness. Joy. Joy. No pain. pain. Beautiful. All of these reasons and what we hope to see and experience about heaven. It means that heaven is a big deal. It's like the biggest deal. It's like the only deal. But here's the deal too. Did you know that you could lose heaven? Did you know someone can take heaven away from you? Did you know that? Now, I'm not talking about like, you know, governments or, or um, you know, a sets of ideology or, or movements and culture or, you know, political parties or, or even individuals who try to take away your faith and your belief so that they can control you or control a people or, or a nation, a society. That, that's been tried over and over again every generation, every country, all the way back to Jesus Christ himself and the Roman government and it's continuing on in our society today. But that's actually not what I'm talking about because they actually can't take away heaven from you. And they can't take away faith from you. The only one who can take away heaven from you you you. There is no one else that has the power that you have. Only you have that power. How do we know this? I mean, we know this all over scripture, but we know this from today's reading from Luke 20. Actually, the very first line in Luke 20, where Luke records Jesus having a conversation with the Sadducees, and then Luke qualifies that and says, the ones who do not believe in the resurrection. So a little bit of Jewish background is important here to understand the impact for our conversation today. The background is this. The Sadducees are part of a ruling council called the Sanhedrin. Now that Sanhedrin can find its origins all the way back to Moses himself, but it's a complicated, winding history, so I'm not going to go into that. The Sanhedrin is made up of Sadducees and Pharisees. Also scribes and priests, all of them are rabbis. 
And uh, the, the Pharisees really are the religious leaders of the Jewish people. I mean, they're the ones that keep the law. Jesus is always butting heads with them, you know, because they're trying to, to follow the letter of the law and so on, right? The Mosaic law we're talking about, the religious law. Okay, that's the Pharisees. Sadducees, not so much. Sadducees, yes, part of the Sanhedrin. Yes, they make decisions for the people. Yes, they are religious. Yes, they are Jewish. But they are more political. And here's probably how that happened. So the Sadducees are actually in a much older sect of the religious faith of the Jews than the Pharisees are. Pharisees came on in the last couple hundred years before the birth of Christ, all right? So the Sadducees, what they do is they find their identity and the religious law of the people all the way back to the first five books of their Jewish Testament, our Old Testament. It's called the Torah, it's called the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses, okay? Starting with Genesis, okay? That's where they land. And they can't evolve from that. So as all the hundreds of years go by with all the kings and all the judges and all the prophets and all the books of the prophets, they reject all of that. They adhere only to the first five books. Therefore, they reject resurrection. Because resurrection and so many other aspects of the Jewish faith is an evolving revelation. Because God is walking with his people and as he walks with his people hundreds and hundreds of years, he reveals more and more and more of himself all the way up to now the Son of God revealing more of himself to the Sadducees and having a conversation with them and trying to get them to evolve and they refuse. So this means then that the Sadducees do are not practicing the fullness and the faithfulness, therefore, of the Jewish faith as it has been revealed by God throughout all of their history. They're therefore not fully faithful and fully adhering to their religious beliefs. So, it makes sense that they would look to something else for answers to their society's problems. And what they look to is politics. The Sadducees were the Roman collaborators. They collaborated with the Roman government. And as a reward for that, they got money, they got position, and they got power. But then they also became deeply compromised men. And in doing that, we can understand this background, and we can understand, therefore, this axiom, or this, this maxim, this, this principle, this, let's call it a timeless teaching in the Jewish day and throughout Christian history. And it goes like this. If you don't live what you believe, you will end up 
believing what you live. And that's what happened to the Sadducees. They started living in a way other than their religious faith, and they started believing in it by living it. But listen, this isn't something just for the Sadducees in Jesus' day. All of us, to this day, are susceptible to this. And being susceptible to it, we have to consider something that I think is also equally important, is how does this happen? How could this happen to us today? Well, it doesn't happen quickly. It happens over, over the many years of our lives. Can it be something like, you know, an event that happens that, that, that spurs us on or, or jolts us in that direction? Yes, it can be. But even then, it's the slow fade. The slow fade of moving from living according to our beliefs to starting to believe according to how we live. So follow this. One of the ways is this. We can use excuses. Okay? They start to come into our lives. So for instance, we can be deeply hurt by someone. Like, let's say, someone in the church. Or we don't agree with the Pope's teachings. Or there's scandal in the church. Right? Or we um, don't believe with a, a, a teaching in the church and so over time we just toil and, and grapple with that and start moving beyond that and saying why? Because it feels so good and it's so good for me, it's so good for us. And on down the slide we go. The slow slide, the slow fade. Right? That's one way. Issues. We can make issues bigger than heaven itself. We stay with the issues rather than continue with the goal of our lives, which are not the issues. It's heaven. But we can get stopped with those. And we can start to sink into those. That's one way. The other way is this, and it's the more common way for many of us Christians, and therefore actually more dangerous for us. It's a slow slide, a slow fade, and it goes something like this. We grow up going to Mass every week and celebrating the sacraments and so on. And then over time, we don't go to Mass every week. Maybe every other week, and then maybe once a month, and then maybe just on holidays. And then even then, at that point, on holidays, we go for nostalgia, we go for family tradition, we go because we feel a little guilty and feel obligated, and we go, and none of those are the reasons to go and worship God. So our, our, our worship of God begins to fade. And parallel to that, what is happening on the sides of all that is our prayer begins to fade. So again, maybe we grow up and we're very devout and very close to God, and, and we don't, you know, we don't have the complexities that we place upon ourselves as adults, right? And we just stop 
praying as much. We used to have a, a concentrated period of time, let's say in the morning or in our car, before we went to bed, and we do that, and that just starts to dissipate away to the point where we find ourselves really not praying much at all. And we grow up learning our faith, right? Learning our faith. Like in catechism, PSR, and Catholic schools, and so on. And then we stop doing that. And we can find ourselves over the course of 5, 10, 20, 30 years never really making a concerted effort to learn about God. And so we stay with these false images of God that we inherit by living in this culture, and we live with those false images of God, and those are what shapes and forms us rather than the right image of God, which comes from the revelation of God from Scripture, and is passed on from the institution of God, the church that he's created. And you can see that when we get wrong images of God, then we get wrong images of ourselves and wrong images of other, one another because we're made in the image of likeness in God. And man, do we start to slide at that point, right? Because we're making decisions based upon false information. Who would follow a God that you created? And you don't. We have to follow the God who is. And so there's a slow fade. Here's one. Friendships. Friendships. So we walk walk down this line of fading away from worship and prayer and and, and right understanding of God. Well, along the way then, another thing that happens is our friendships. Until we look around one day and we look at all of our friends. They could be good people, right? We can be in good relationships with them. Right? They can be healthy relationships. But we look around at them and we see that none of our friends or very few of our friends are actually intentionally living out their Christian faith. And not just worshiping God and praying God, but going for more understanding of God. And, 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 and it's not just on Sunday, but it's, it's throughout their lives, day by day. They're intentional, they're passionate, they're focused. They have a goal in life. And they sacrifice for it. And this is their lifestyle. This is who they are. And we look around at the landscape of our friendships and we see that we have none of these friends anymore. Or very few of them. And it's a slow fade. And friendships matter as we well know. They influence us and we influence them. And a host of other ways in which we just slowly, over the course of years, fade out of living according to our beliefs. To the point where we, we are giving away heaven. We still have the belief for it. We still have to, we still want it, like everyone raised their hands. But will we attain it? Because we will only attain what is our goal in life. Because we have to work for that goal. And if we don't work for that goal, we're not going to get the goal. And by the way, Jesus Christ gives us heaven for free, but we have to live it. And not then, now. Because now is when we make the decision for then. Right? So here's the question. 
do you want heaven? Every one of you raised your hands. And if you want heaven, then make heaven your goal. What you live for every day. Now, I am not saying then that everything else doesn't matter. All the other things that are important to us in life do matter. But what I'm saying is that they don't crowd out the goal of heaven. They don't get in front of it. In fact, you keep heaven in front of all these things, and then heaven informs everything else and rightly orders it. So what do you want? Because we have to remember this. There is nothing else after this life other than heaven. That's it. There's nothing in this life that we can get distracted by or get paused by excuses or hurts or wounds or objections or busyness of time. And that's our reason. There's nothing in this life that will last. The only thing that will last is heaven or hell. And there's nothing beyond heaven either. Heaven is the deal. That's it. So if it is the deal, it has to be the deal, the big deal in your life. That infuses every other part of your life. And when it does, it makes it right and beautiful and good and true. It doesn't make it boring. So what do you want? If you want heaven, the question becomes, how do you get it? Well, first of all, it's a gift from Jesus. But like any gifts, we have to unwrap it and use it every day of our lives. But there's two things, I think, that can get in the way. I mentioned one of them. Actually, probably two of them in a different way. One word can get in the way of us making heaven our goal. Here it is. Excuses. There will always be excuses. Here's one. I don't have enough time to go to Mass, to pray every day, to um, continue learning about God and who He is and who I am in Him. And that excuse alone can be the excuse that we milk all of our lives. And then, unintentionally, the excuse is the goal. And it replaces the goal of heaven. And we can use other excuses. Like, I'm not going to go to Mass anymore because of the state of the church today. Right? And that becomes your excuse. And you milk it all of your life. Right? Well, I'm not going to go to Mass because there's a bunch of hypocrites sitting in the pews. Hi, hypocrites. We're all imperfect. That's why we're here, right? We're all sinners. That's why we're here. But we can milk those excuses all of our lives. Let's switch gears. The next one is this. Getting to heaven is not rocket science. And we don't have to make it complicated, either by our excuses or by our practices. And by that I mean... All the ways in which we can make heaven our goal are simple, but we make them complex 
For instance, by trying to do too much, when we get excited, we're in church, we hear this homily, we go out, I am going to make heaven my goal, you know? And then we add too much to our plate, and we fail in the endeavors after a week or a month or a year, you know, like a New Year's resolution or a Lenten. And we, we fail, and the enemy gets into that with a lie, and we become discouraged, and we give up in the entire in enterprise again. Don't do that. Make it simple. Start small. Start little. Like prayer. Start with an app. We, right there, Hallow app, or another app I like to use and many people use is the form.org app. Formed app. There's hundreds of us, uh, of you guys already doing this. You open up your app and there's guided prayers and guided meditations like a rosary or a meditation on scripture. And you can do this when you wake up in the morning before you ever get out of bed to go to school or to work. Or you can do it on your way to wherever you're going. Or you can do it while you're working out. This morning, when I was working out, I was using one of those apps and a guided a rosary so I could stay focused during that time that I was exercising. I was doing a twofer. Okay? So, prayer. But get help. That's why these apps exist. And not just prayer and all kinds of ways that you can pray. But also, they have this platform with a ton of content on it. And that content addresses the next thing. And that is, they feed you who God is. Based upon the scriptures. Based upon the revelation of Christ. Based upon the truth that has been passed on from generation to generation. By the church that Christ himself instituted. Right? And then you start to realign who God actually is rather than what we've been bombarded God is through a variety of media in our culture, in our people, in our wounds, in our hearts, in our imaginations. All that just starts to fade away and God, who he is, appears. And then we can worship him. Because our false images of God that we've created are no longer in place and we want to worship him. So we find ourselves at Mass, like all of you are here today. And I know this about you. You're at Mass, you're praying, you've got a prayer life, many of you. You're using these apps, you're growing in faith, you're reading books. Here's the last one, friendships. Start little, start with a prayer. Lord, help me to find friends that are focused on you. Not everything else in this world, you. Help me to find friends that are intentional in their relationship with you. Help me to find friends that will walk alongside of me and support me in making heaven the goal of my life. And then what happens is God will help you find those friends and you take the risk to develop new friends and mature those friendships over time again. The slow fade out, the slow fade in. All right? Don't do too much at one time. And then what you'll find is something beautiful in those friendships. And then what you'll find is as you're discipling them and they're discipling you, those other friends that you used to hang out a lot with, you don't drop them. They're human beings. They're in your life for a reason. They become your mission rather than you are their mission. You live according to your religious faith and lead them rather than you 
believe according to how they live and that you've learned to live. Let me end with this. When I mean live according to your beliefs, what I don't mean, what this axiom doesn't mean, which is centuries old and guided the Jews and have guided Christians for centuries. What I don't mean is that you live according to your version of the truth. You live according to taking truth and subjectivizing it and relativizing it to you, relative to you, and what you want, right? That's not what this axiom means. What this axiom means is that you live according to universal truths, objective truths that live and exist outside of you, because they exist in the God who created these truths, who is the only arbitrator of truth, right? And you live according to them, according to his revelation that he's given through the Jews and now through Christ, fulfilled and passed on through his church that he instituted. That's what it means to live according to your beliefs. Beliefs that will guide you rather than you shape and form and you guide. So here's the deal. What do you want? Do you want to live according to your beliefs? Or do you want to believe according to how you live? How you answer that affects you and so many other people in our society today. And here's the final deal. The choice is yours. It always has been. And the freedom is yours that God has given to you. No one has the power to take away this choice and this freedom. And no institution has it. Only you. It's always been in your hands. Choose wisely. Choose well. Your heaven depends upon it. And so many others too.